You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good morning. I've got to tell you, that was so enjoyable for me to be back up in that water again. The young guys and many of you who are leading others to Christ, you get the opportunity almost every weekend to share in a baptism, and it was good to get to be in the water with you guys and with Jackson this morning. We always celebrate life change. Last night, we had two people take their next step in their relationship with Christ, and we'll introduce them to you next week. But I want to introduce to you this morning Sam Guernsey, who was baptized last, last Saturday, a week ago. And then if you were present with us, if you weren't, let me introduce to you Scott and Kimber Graves, who placed their membership. And then uh, Julia McMahon, who also placed her membership last weekend. I thought we were going to have to get one of those applause buttons, you know, that comes on back there. But it is great to be together. I certainly uh, want you to be praying for Carrie and Melissa St. John at the passing of his twin sister, Sherry. Uh, This week, they served as greeters out there this morning, and they're meeting with family later today to make arrangements, and we'll be letting you know about that uh, through my MCC, through the weekly email that you get. You'll hear about those things uh, tomorrow. So please be praying for them, and and thank you, Carrie, and uh, thank you guys for being here and serving today, uh, even in the midst of your grief. Well, turn with me in your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy. As we continue this series, God's Word, we've made it all the way to the book of Deuteronomy, and today we're going to look at a couple of chapters, a couple of chapters, and the next significant thing that we see happen in the life of God's people, the Israelites, and this man named Moses, who was chosen by God to lead them toward where they're going, this promised land. Now, we're all known by something, right? When, when I say the name Brandon Dickerson, right? You immediately associate him with certain things. You, you associate him with his son, Parker, his wife, Amanda. But more than that, you think about spreadsheets, right? <laughs> Analytical Brandon, he, he's known for that. When I say David Bigelow, Right? You think about his smile and you, you think about his exuberance when he brings God's word to us. Maybe you think about this growing teen ministry, the student ministry that we have here at Memphis. When I say Bill Stone, those of you who've been around for a while, you think of stuffy old man. No, you, <laughs> you think about Bill who is at the professor level when he teaches his Bible study on Sunday morning. Do you know that Bill's group, I I understand this to be true, I can't believe it really, Bill, and I'm not for sure we should even tell you about it, but Bill has the largest, most long-standing group out of any of us in the church. Isn't that amazing? I think that that's worth (laughs) celebrating. He is such a wealth of information. When I say the name Linda Taylor, now Linda has been in heaven for over a year now. But when I say Linda Taylor Church, what do you think of? Cards. Cards, Her ministry to every new person at MCC, to those who have endured loss or surgeries or 
celebrating new life in your families. We're all known for something. How are you known? Better yet, what is your legacy when it comes to the gifts that you have been given, the Holy Spirit being one, and the life that you are living in Christ? You see, our legacy is the long-lasting impact of what we believe that is shown, demonstrated through our actions. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses, who is best known for the Ten Commandments, for leading the Israelites out of Egypt, for striking a rock in anger, he's preparing the Israelites for what will be their second opportunity to enter the promised land. The first we talked about last week. Brandon told us about what? The 12 spies. Whose idea was it to send spies in after God had promised this land, after God had told them that he would go before them, that he had everything in store for them, including his protection and blessing? Who decided to send in the 12 spies? The people did. The people did, and because of their disobedience and because of their unwillingness to trust God, what happened? They spent the next 40 years wandering in the desert. Now, it wasn't aimless wandering. What it was was it was God's judgment against those who would not trust him, who would not obey his command to go in and take the land. And so here, we're 40 years later, And the Israelites are once again standing on the brink of crossing over into the promised land. This land that has been promised for centuries, beginning with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all whose accounts we've read about. This 40-year journey. And now God has brought them full circle and he's told Moses, Moses, you're not going to be entering the promised land. You remember the rock that you struck back there? And you guys read about that this week. But he has Moses prepare the people for what's next. Moses is at 120 years old. He understands that his life is coming to an end, not because he's worn out. What did we read this week? His eyes were not weak. He still had the energy and vigor that he did as a 40-year-old. But it was his time. And so Moses, knowing that it's his time, he shares this message with the people in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Listen to how he begins. Hear, O Israel. Hear, hear what I'm about to say. Just like I said a moment ago, listen. This is what is known as, or at least the next two verses here, or what is known as the Shema. Shema. The Jewish people to this day repeat these next two verses in the morning when they rise and in the evening before they go to bed. Why? Because this is significant. This is the foundation of their faith. Hear, O Israel. Moses is telling them to allow the words that are about to come to sink in, to let them speak to the very nature of who they are, and to generate a response, as God's word will always generate a response in our life. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's saying there's only one God. There's only one God, and he's the God who created us, who purposed us, and called us, and this is our God. How do you refer to God when you're telling others about him? I've always been careful to say my God, my God, because so many in the world today have created their own God. And so while I don't say it that way, I understand that he is the Lord, that he is my God. He is the one who receives my worship. He is the one who receives my talents and offerings. He is the one that I look to, and he is the one that I obey. It seems so simple, but this is the foundation of our faith and our life. When mistakes that we've made, we've all made mistakes. When mistakes that we've made want to undermine our confidence, we're reminded what? That there's one God, and that one God is greater than our past. Aren't you grateful for that? I am. When we look ahead to the challenges that are before us, we're reminded that God is the one who purposed us and called us and who will give us, equip us with everything that we need for the challenge. Friends, there's only one God, and Moses says to the Israelites, there's only one God. It's not you, and it's not me. And it's not your addiction. So many today have allowed their addiction to be their God. It's as if that they have no control over this thing. Well, friends, you have control over these things. It begins with a choice. And when you make addiction your God, you've already made the choice. And that is, well, the next time it comes around and you feel the urge, you're going to give in. That's the God that you're going to follow. And just the same as addiction is not our God, neither is our economy. When the stock market drops and we feel like everything's coming to an end, we talk about the hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of dollars we lost that day on paper, remember? But that's not our God. It's not our children. As much as we treat them sometimes like they are a God, where can I run you today? It doesn't matter what mom and dad need to do. We'll get you to whatever the coach wants you at. It's not our children. It's not our credit score. It's not our vacation time. It's not a golden calf, as Moses would remind the people. He's saying there is one God, and that's the God who created, purposed, and called me, and he's the God that I'm to follow. He's the God that I'm to bow down and worship. He's where it starts, and he's where it ends, because he is the one who paid the price for me. He's the one who redeemed me and calls me his own. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, The Lord is one. Verse five, the the second half of the Shema, I want you to know isn't speaking to a warm, fuzzy, emotional energy that we feel towards God at certain times. When he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your 
strength. My friends, if the love that you had the day that you engaged to your spouse, and I understand we had an engagement in the church just last night. It's not, if your relationship is still that warm, fuzzy, emotional energy, you're going to be disappointed because that does not last. Can it be rekindled? Absolutely. But it's only rekindled when we act in loyalty and faithfulness to the one that we say we love. And so when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, he's saying act in loyalty to God, be faithful to him. And for Israel, loving God meant obedience to the covenant, to the laws, to the commands that Moses has taken the first six chapters to remind them of. Jesus himself confirmed these words during his ministry when he says, what is the greatest What's the most significant command? And he said, it's to love the Lord your God. But Jesus went on to say that to love God is to obey him. To obey him. One of the most affirming moments that I've had so far in my journey as a dad. And those sometimes come far in between during these teenage years, right? Those of you who've experienced that. But one of the most affirming moments was just a few weeks ago at Valentine's Day. I, I don't know what you do. Sarah doesn't buy me any gifts. All we do is we write down 14 things that we love about the other. All, all four of us. We're all given four sheets of paper, and we're told by Sarah, write down, <laughs> right? There's 14, 14 of those papers for each one of us. We put them in the other's boxes, and then on Valentine's evening, we get those out and we sit in a circle and we spend what takes up to an hour or so taking those pieces of paper one, out of the, one at a time out of that box and, and reading it. And I remember about halfway through this year, I'll always remember, pulling out that little piece of paper and looking up because I recognized the writing to my now 17-year-old that's hard to believe when she wrote on that paper that she knows that she's loved because I have expectations of her. She knows that she's loved because I set boundaries. She knows that she's loved because we have rules. And she knows that she's loved because I have said no to her and she understands that when I say no, it is to protect her. And my friends, when your 17-year-old child looks at you and says, I love you for all of that, what more can you ask for? Because every parent, every parent desires so much for that love that what do we do? We don't set rules. We don't set boundaries. We let them go through and make the same choices that we made all because we're unwilling to love them. And in the same way, we discover just how much God loves us when we live within the boundaries and the commands that he's given us. We understand his provision, his great love to provide for us only when we obey his command to give the first tenth of what we've earned that week back to him. We experience the blessing of marriage. You wonder why your marriage isn't working? 
try living your marriage in the example that he has given us. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Wives, respect your husband. Follow your husband. Submit to him as he submits to God. But we won't <laughs> because we lack love. We recognize the depth of God's love for us in saving us and paying the biggest price tag paid long before we ever chose to pursue him. You see, to love God is to choose him over and over and over again. To love God is to choose him over and over again. He wants us to think about him. He wants us to hang on his every word. He wants us to choose his commands that transform us, that shape us, that inspire us, that we love him all the more for. It's choosing God over my selfish desires long before the heat of the moment. <laughs> I uh, have a friend that's in the room today and one of many, many things that he has taught me over the years is he shared with me his commitment to his wife. And you say, oh, we, I made a commitment to my wife. Well, this friend of mine has made a commitment to his wife that no matter what, he will not divorce her. No matter how much she begged, no. <laughs> but he will not divorce her. And you say, well, well, how can he make that commitment today? What if she does this? He's already thought about it. He's already played out. What if she has an affair? I've decided today that I will stay married to her and I will love her. What if she becomes incapacitated? unable to care for herself. I will stay and I will love her. I choose to this day. You and I would do well to choose in advance the way that God would have us to choose. And that begins with choosing him over and over again. It's choosing his church even when it would be easier to be a loner. Right? Those of you who are like me that just would as soon be by yourself, we choose otherwise. It's choosing God over for unforgiveness and bitterness and disappointment. Moses continues in verse 6, love the Lord your God. These commands that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. How many of you have used or heard the expression, you were on my heart today? It's kind of a Christian thing, kind of like Hallmark has their thing. Christians say things like that. You were on my heart today. And it gives you that warm and fuzzy thing. You were on my heart today. I, I, I couldn't shake the thought of you is what we're saying. No matter what had my attention at the moment, the job I was doing, the people I was talking to, you, you just kept coming to my mind. Well, friends, God desires that he and his ways always be on your heart in your mind. In fact, we're commanded in the New Testament to take every thought captive. It means grab hold of those thoughts. Grab hold of those thoughts and look at what God's word says about those thoughts and you make your thoughts obedient to what Christ commands. 
Take every thought captive and make it obedient to him. That's choosing him over and over again. It's the lens through which we're to see all things. It's the filter through which we run our decisions. Is what I'm doing in alignment with his commands? To not have any other God before him? Oh, many of our decisions put us in the driver's seat. We should live life so dialed into God that the way he feels about life issues is the way that we feel about them. After all, we have his heart. That's what the Holy Spirit is. It's the very essence of God living inside the believer. Jesus said out of the overflow of what a man puts in his heart, his mouth, his life, speaks. And so in these first two verses alone, Moses sets the foundation for our life as Christ followers, and then based on that foundation, he focuses on our impact. He focuses on our legacy, the legacy that we're to set for this generation and the generations to come. Verse 6, he says, keep these commands on your heart. And then in verse 7, he expands on that, and he says, impress them on your children. Now, there have been times that we've impressed things on our kids, right? Yeah, usually with this hand or with a spoon, and there's an outline impressed on their rear end. I remember when Olivia was six months old, I just went ahead and spanked her to get it over with, right? No, no, she was seven months old. <clears throat> Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you're walking along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I was speaking to a young person recently, really young. It wasn't Jackson. I was speaking to a young person recently about their desire to be baptized. And, and so I, I always ask them questions. And I explained to mom and dad, I explained to the child... I am not asking questions on a pass or fail basis. What I think does not determine whether you get baptized today or not. The reason why I ask questions is because I want to know what more I need to help the parents teach that child. What happens here is the beginning of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We need his spirit in our life. And the younger that we can have his spirit in our life, the better off that we'll be. And so I asked these questions to these children. And this particular child, I, I said, now, do you understand what sin is? Well, oh, yeah, right? And I said, well, well, I want you to give me an example of one, but I want you to give me an example of a sin that your mom commits. Right? Because I, I know what the kid's answer is. Well, I hit my brother or I said something mean to them. But this time I said, Get, you know, lay one on right here. And there's mom standing right in front of him. Dad sitting right beside him. And he looked right at me and he said, she says some awful words to dad. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I just burst out laughing. But both mom and dad, you could see the look on their face because it was true. 
it was true. What an impression we make. See, you and I, we leave a legacy, but what kind of legacy we leave is up to us. And so Moses says, impress the things of God on your children. May they be marked. May they be identified by God and who he is, what he's doing, what he's done. Speak of God, he says. Speak of God and his ways every opportunity that you get. Every opportunity that you get, you speak of him. Speak of him at your dinner table. Your dinner table. My brother and sister still have the dinner, or my brother and his wife still have the dinner table that we grew up around 40 years ago. More than that. But it was at that dinner table that me, my brother who's uh, three years younger, and my sister who's three years younger than him, it was at that dinner table that we would sit down and we would have flagellants. <laughs> we would have whoopee cushions. Whatever we could say mean to the other person, we would say. And my poor Christian mother, she would break down in tears monthly. I'm going to go to Best Western. That was the hotel in town. I, I can't sit here with you guys. But at the same time, at the same time, it was around that table that we were affirmed of God's presence in the events of our day. You see, we should affirm this generation in the truth of God's word every opportunity that we have instead of leaving it to social media to form their worldview and their identity. Parents, every day we are in the battle against evil for the hearts of our children. It's time we wake up. Some questions that you might consider. These are things that we've done in our home. We don't do this every night. There's just as much flagellance around our table. Sarah, you know, just is awful about that. She's downstairs in children's ministry, and don't you friends start texting her. She gets this stuff by text right in the middle of service. But these are things that we've done when we realize the need to get it back together again. One of the questions that we ask is, what is one way that God's provided for you today? What's one way? When, when they're talking about how they made a new friend, when they're talking about how, how they did better than they expected on an exam, when they left feeling poorly, they didn't want to go, and they came back and things went better. What was one way, girls, that God provided for you today? Where did you see God working today? That, uh, that's even more pointed because it, it tells them to look for him throughout the day. Expect him. Be where he is. A friend recently shared with me how he was taking a walk one day, reflecting on the truth of God's existence. Listen, no matter how long you've been a Christian, there are going to be times when you question God and the reality of his existence. I don't care who you are. Don't care how long you've been a believer. There are going to be those moments. For some, it's just, it's just a flashing, fleeting thought. For others, it lasts hours. For some, it 
It, it lasts a whole season in their life. And, and my friend, he had one of those days. And so he does what he does when those times come. And he went and he walked in the woods. And as that thought kept coming to his mind, he said in that very moment when that question that he was asking of God's existence came to his mind, he looked up. And when he looked up, there on a tree carved in was the word believe. It was all he needed. It was all he needed to remind him that God is ever-present, that God is who he says that he is. Then Moses takes it even further, and he says, keep God's word with you all the time. Tie them to your forehead and wrists as symbols. And these people took it literally. Can you imagine walking around town, going to work with a little box tied to your forehead? I mean, we do it with the wristlets that we wear today because we don't want to tie a box to our forehead, but that, that's exactly what they did. Today, one, one of the things that I love about my wife, some of you may disagree, but she's my wife. One of the things that I love about her, I, I never dreamed I'd marry a woman with tattoos. And, and she had no tattoos when we got married. She has a bunch of them now. And every one of those tattoos has a story behind it, a reason why. Well, one of my favorites is she has a lion, the face of a lion. She has a face of a lion. And while I will not tell you the reason why she has that face of the lion, let me tell you that that lion covers up a multitude of hurts. It covers up a multitude of times when she did not love herself. Tie these things, wear them as symbols. What is Moses after here? He's after the fact that every word of God is to be binding in our decisions, in our choices, in our actions. It's the filter through which we should run everything. The psalmist said it. He said, your word, God's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Some of us are walking around in the dark because we're not opening up his word to light the path. Your words, we said when we were in grade school and we remembered that God was our creator and we had him in our schools and we said our pledge to the Bible, your words I will hide in my heart that I won't sin against you. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So many Christians try and compartmentalize their relationship with God, especially the generation before me and the generation before that, and it probably goes way, way back. So many Christians say, my relationship with God is private. It's between me and him. And yes, it is, but no, it's not. No, it's not. One of the failings of the church in generations past has been that we dare not preach on issues of sexual identity, sex itself within the confines of marriage, the expression of our desires. So many years and decades, the church would not speak about how to raise a family and how to deal with the issues within our home, how to love your spouse, how to respect our bodies. 
We didn't talk about our work ethic. And in so doing, friends, our sexuality, our marriages, our child rearing are void of the application of God's word. A couple Saturday nights ago, after service, it might have been last weekend, uh, I wasn't preaching. I was sitting about where Amy's at, and Sarah got up as after church. I wouldn't do it right in the middle of church. Well, maybe I would. But she got up and she started to go out with some friends, and I just reached out, you know, gave her a good grab right there on the back end. Man, when I got home, I got the lecture of a lifetime. <laughs> but not from Sarah from my girls and it started this way daddy there are certain things that we don't do in church <laughs> and I'm like what did we do in church and she said somebody noticed you smacked mom on the rear end and I said you know I want you to understand why I do that because when I grew up we didn't think the preacher even touched his wife for any reason. <laughs> I want, I want these students that we have fill these front rows to understand what a godly marriage looks like. I'm not talking about a dead marriage that lasts 50 years. I'm talking about a marriage that is alive and enjoying the things that God gives us. And so instead of just talking about it, I show them. I embrace my wife when she comes an hour after I get here and kiss her on the mouth. I give her a good pat on the rear end. In fact, I'm often afraid that when I hug one of you, it's why I don't do front hugs, because I usually reach down and grab her. <laughs> but I realized a long time ago, you know, I almost did it to her sister. I was like, oh boy. <laughs> so now I do the side hug right? <laughs> Moses is saying God's word speaks to and belongs in every aspect of our life. Every aspect of our life. And his word covers it all. Moses put it this way in verse 20. I, I love this. In the future, when your son asks you, What's the meaning of all of these things? Why these decrees? Why these laws that the Lord has commanded of us? Tell him, tell him, child, we were slaves in Egypt to Pharaoh, but the Lord, he brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our very eyes, we saw him bring plagues upon these people, something that only God could do. But he brought us up from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. It made me think, what is my rescue story? When my girls look at me and they say, Dad, why, why don't we do this? Other families do this. They say, oh, girls... Let me tell you what life is like without Christ. And let me tell you what he's done. And because of what he's done, you bet church attendance is going to be part of this family. It has nothing to do with me being the preacher. How could I not worship him? How could I not give a tenth or more of what he's given me? How could I not? 
Do your children know your rescue story even? Does your small group? Why not? Our lives should speak just like the songwriter who said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. What do you think a wretch is? A sinner. A wretch is someone who acts on their homosexual desires. I once acted on my homosexual desires. I once was a bigot. I once was so righteous no one else could live up to my standards. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, and now I see. We should not be silent. We can't be silent about our rescue story. And that leads us to our final takeaway. That is, those who leave a lasting legacy live a thankful life to God. They live a thankful life to God, one that always points to him. Always points to him. Moses was 120 years old when he sat the people down this one last time and shared with them the most important truths about life. Truths that were not only the foundation of his legacy, but that of many of us today who believe with all of our being that there's only one way to live this life. And that is thankful to the one who created us, saved us, and purposed us with such a great mission to lead others out of their Egypt. Also at the age of 120, Deuteronomy 34 says, I want you to flip over. If you didn't read it this week, Deuteronomy chapter 34 says, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab with God at his side, looking across the valley to the promised land. We read in verse 6 that God himself buried Moses. Right there on your piece of paper. God himself buried Moses, but to this day, no one knows where his grave is. I'm intrigued by that. I'm intrigued not by the fact that no one knows where Moses' grave is. What does it matter? What does it matter where any of our graves are when it's our soul and our legacy that lives on? But I'll tell you what I am intrigued by, and I'll tell you what matters, is that God was right there at his side when he died. I can't imagine any greater aspiration in life than to finish this part of the journey with God at our side. What a legacy. The Apostle Paul would later write, indeed, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. I am so proud of this congregation. I'm so proud of you who call MCC home and the legacy that you are perpetuating each and every day that you serve. The month of March, we have dubbed our student and children's ministry volunteer month. 
We began two weeks ago with a gathering for all 125 of you to celebrate you, to thank you for what you're doing here in the lives of our children, in our community, and kids around the world. One of the many things that we're known for here is our love for this generation. And so church, join me in celebrating for just a moment the legacy that many in this room and those downstairs are building and leaving through our kids. I am so grateful. But for those of you who aren't a part of that 125 or for those of you who are, and that's only a small piece, that's, that's an hour or two out of your week, what impact have you committed your life to making? Do you live each day understanding, intentionally or not, you will leave a legacy? You will leave a legacy. It will either be a good one and a testimony to God's kingdom or it won't be. There's no greater legacy than the life-changing impact of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe this morning, you, you, just, you just haven't been able to see that until now. Maybe you look at your upbringing or you look at your life or you, you look at the situation that you find yourself now and whether it's your marriage is destroyed, whether it's a wayward child, whether it's a crisis that has come into your life and you're breaking underneath the weight of it, this is your opportunity to change course, to go to God, align yourself with his commands and live grateful and live in alignment with him each and every day. Because my friends, just as he was with Moses, he is with you and he's with me. I want you to take your Bible and I want you to stand with me now. We normally do this at the top of the service and today I thought, let's finish out our time with this. But I want you to take your Bible and, and the reason why we hold it up in because that's the way they do it on TV. The reason we hold it up is just symbolic. So some of you hold it in front of your hearts. Great. Some of you hold it over your heads because his word is always going to be greater than you and your thoughts and your desires. But pray this prayer with me as you hold his word before you. Father, we stand before you today with your word in our hands. But may we commit anew to your word being written on our hearts, lived out in our lives, impressed upon the lives of those you allow us influence. We understand today, God, that this begins as we declare that you are the one and only God. And so we declare that, Father, not because you need to know who you are, but because we recognize that you are the one. And we place you above all things and all others where the God of the universe belongs. 
we declare you today in every aspect of our lives. And between now and the day that we stand with you and before you in judgment, we commit ourselves to you and ask that you would grant us influence in the life of those around us, beginning with our own families, that they would come to you, Father. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, and it's by his power that we live to carry out this legacy. Amen. If you'd like to continue that prayer focused on a specific area or decision of your life, I invite you to come. Come and kneel down before him and pray. Come come and accept him as Savior and Lord of, of your life. The, the water's already ready. We've got clothes for you to wear. Come and be part of this church family. Whatever your next step needs to be, we'll be right here to meet you.